episode of The Witching Hour. Guess what? It's just me, I'm Perry, and Haley. It's just oh, us the whole I'm time. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to see you too. And I don't want to make that come across like we haven't had an absolute blast with so many guests over the last couple of weeks because we have had some pretty amazing ones. But I just love to, I don't know, chill and talk horror movies with you. And I'm glad we're doing it this time around. Me too. We have some catching up to do because we were so very lucky with the guests we were able to receive for so long. That is for sure. And we also, have we even ever talked about the whole mess of, what was it, the beginning of November? Where it it was the end of October, beginning of November, where one week a Transformer exploded near my house and I cut out in the middle of the His House interview. And thank God we're recording on StreamYard because it keeps recording even when the host gets knocked out. So you were to do that half by yourself. And then what happened with the Andre Overdahl one? Something happened and I had to do that one by myself. One. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of glitchiness. Oh, and then we had to reschedule one because there was glitchiness. And and it's not over, folks. Just as a heads up, my internet is being a real pill lately. So, so if I'm wonky today, I apologize in advance. Well, I don't want to jinx it, but right now you look good and sound good. So I'm hoping yeah. that it continues that way. For that reason, we should probably do your Blu-ray reviews right up top to make sure we get those in no matter what. <laughs> you are absolutely right got a couple I'm super excited to show you guys. Uh, As we said, we were booked and busy, so I've been holding on to these for a minute. But the first one is this new limited edition 4K HD Blu-ray collection. I can't read. What are words? Of uh, Resident (laughs) Evil, which looks like these. And comes apart like this. And it has you know, all the, and then I break it. <laughs> films like so, and uh, I I have a real soft spot for these movies, especially the first one. So I've been having a lot of fun poking into. No surprise, it's Haley Fouch, the bonus features, which is what I'm all about with these special editions. Uh, um, the movies remain the movies. You know how you feel about those. I, like I said, have a soft spot for them. And what I really like, though, is for the first one in particular, it has a number of commentaries. Uh, A few of them have several commentaries, but the the first one has a special effects commentary. And I I am really into getting to learn about that side of things, especially when you get a whole feature length commentary. It's way more than you get from any interview you might read, you know. Um, It also has a filmmaker's commentary. I think every one of them except the last one has at least one commentary. Uh, so I'm just really excited to make my way through all of them. And uh, they also, you know, they have the featurettes and the behind the scenes stuff, which is cool. But I'm I'm always in it for the commentaries and they look beautiful. Um, so that one has been really fun. They are some of my favorite, I guess what you would call guilty pleasure movies. I have no guilt about Nothing it. Nothing wrong with that. Not at all. I can't say the same for all of them, but I do quite like the first one a lot. Yeah. And I I actually have a pretty significant soft spot for number two, which I know is not a favorite response. (laughs) I had such a good time seeing two in theaters with my friends that I'll always love it a bit. Uh, What was the one that was all weird and like set in an alt reality where things seemed old fashioned-y? Was that afterlife retribution who could tell but i enjoy that one as well so i'm looking forward to seeing some of the making of i feel like after maybe like two or three i have a very hard time telling them apart anymore the (laughs) time chapter the final chapter i know right well that's recent anyway they're fun i'm having fun and i love the amount of commentaries because every time i do these reviews i talk about how like they're a precious resource that's going away more and more as uh, all video releases don't have as many. And then my other beautiful beauty that I have been waiting to show you guys for so long. Just look at it, look at it. This is like ridiculous. This is an actual chest like that is high quality. Look at these locks, look at these locks. And inside the whole upside down dang puppet master collection. 
What a beautiful setup that is. Are you kidding me? And it has these little uh, display areas where you can put the figurines that come with it. Huh. This one came out a while ago. Again, this was part of our scheduling. Uh, the luck of having such a wonderful scheduling issue is that this did come out a while ago. I know it was very limited and I don't know how many are left on sale, but I can say this is absolutely freaking stunning. I would, I just, so the reason I'm like taping in this weird spot this week is I'm in the process of reorganizing my entire living space in this room. And I went through all my DVDs and did like a hard call of what don't I watch enough to justify the space it takes up in my life? What can I watch anywhere that doesn't have any bonus features? So I was like getting rid of a lot of stuff and I was like, this will never, yeah. never so beautiful. <laughs> yes. So those are my, uh, my two little special edition reviews for you guys today. I think I'm just gonna hug this because it's so beautiful and sturdy. It makes me feel comfortable. I respect that choice. <laughs> <laughs> you hug, you hug that, and I'll hug this. Oh, now I'm jealous. He's so, he's so mad. He was so happy, just like kneading right now, and I disturbed him to hug him. How oh, dare I? <laughs> All right, now we have. We've got a lot of news stories. Yes, and this first one's really really big. I mean, it's significant even well beyond the horror genre. So many of you may have noticed that yesterday it was announced that Warner Brothers is going to release all of its planned 2021 films in the same release model that they're doing with Wonder Woman 1984 for Christmas, which means that these movies are going to get international theatrical releases and I guess limited domestic theatrical releases, depending on what theaters are open. But when it hits theaters in the US, it's also gonna hit HBO Max. Then what happens is it stays on HBO Max for a month, then it leaves, and then it follows the more traditional uh, release distribution windows. That way it gets to have, you know, a digital HD release, a Blu-ray release, all that good stuff before it eventually goes back to HBO Max. So. Whoa, this is big news. And the genre movies that it's going to affect are Godzilla vs. Kong, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and also Malignant. Or at least those are the movies that we know about at this moment. Haley, how are you feeling about this? I I mean, it's wild. It's like a lot to process, right? Mm -hmm. It's such a massive dynamic shift for the entire industry. Um, I also am not surprised at all. I kind of was wondering which studio would be the first one to do this sort of thing mm -hmm. because we're just not at a place, especially in America, where we can say with any confidence that we'll be back in theaters on any timeline that mm -hmm. is viable right now. So I get it. I like I'm worried about movie theaters and I'm curious to see what comes from other studios in the next couple of weeks following this announcement. I do think we'll see more and more and more of this until there's some sort of sense of resolution to, you know, our crisis we're in right now, but shit. Yeah. I, I guess that was kind of my reaction too, but it was a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a low key shit because this felt inevitable to me. I mean, we've been playing, we've been playing the, you know, will things get back to normal-ish or won't they game for so long at this point? And also at this exact point in time, things aren't good. Yeah. And things aren't expected to get better for a little bit of time. I know that there's talk of the vaccine finally being uh, distributed, multiple ones. And that obviously is a very good thing. But we're going to be dealing with the repercussions of holiday season for a very long time. And I think that vaccine or not, that is going to push back any realistic chance we have of movie theaters slowly reopening. And I don't know. And then you got to consider just the long term effects of them having been closed for this long at all. It's like even when it is safe to go back, what's what's going to be left? What's going to be financially feasible? So I think they kind of had to do this. And, you know, on the other side of it. This also feels like a fast-tracked version of the streaming wars anyway, where now 
now the uh, the need to position yourself in a good spot in that battle is more pivotal than ever. And by it being the very first major film studio to announce that all of its big releases, all of its franchise releases, like The Suicide Squad and highly anticipated new movies coming out next year are going to its platform, I f- would not be surprised if many out there have just reprioritized their streaming services and maybe bumped HBO Max up a, up a couple notches on their list. How do you not? And mm-hmm. I mean, it, they're huge movies. They're cultural talking point films that you, you, if you are in the group of people who keeps up with movies, you're not going to just like sleep on these titles. Maybe mm-hmm. if you're not in a horror, you sleep on Malignant, but nobody's sleeping on the Suicide Squad. But it's James Wan. You're not sleeping yeah. on even if you're not a genre fan because James Wan gets everybody. Well, I could, I've been trying for literal years to convince my mom and aunt to watch Insidious because I'm like, it's not too scary for you. It's fun. It's like Poltergeist, but they, they're a hard no, hard no. Because they're afraid it's too scary? I mean, Insidious is... But then at the end, it's not very unnerving. It is, and I do think it would scare them, but I think because the ending gets so kind of kooky that it's a good one for people who are easily scared to watch because you don't leave in terror. No, that's fair. I definitely would say that Insidious isn't the type of movie to keep me up at night. No, and it's like, I'm not out here trying to be like, you have to watch The Conjuring, because that would scare them. Okay. Okay. Like, that, that is not the level they want to be. What about Annabelle Comes Home? That's like a fun romp of a movie. Yeah, we should watch that. They'd have fun with that. <laughs> but I, I'm very excited about uh, Malignant. I'm actually thinking what's going to happen next is this and also the need to release the MCU movies and shows in a specific order is essentially going to force Disney's hand on the matter and they're going to be the next to do this. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting that pretty soon. There that was I mean, what a dumb thing to be one of your first thoughts, but when movies started shutting down and movie theaters started shutting down, one of the first questions I had was, "Oh my god, how does this affect something like the MCU that's so rigorously planned yeah. in a specific order years in advance?" It, it matters. They're in a corner. Yeah, I, it's just, uh, you know, every single studio out there is feeling the pressure right now, but they they feel it in a unique way yeah. because they have so, you know, you could think of other big franchises like, I don't know, for whatever. I mean, I guess the, the DC film franchise could run into this problem at some point, but I would need to take a closer look at their 2021 slate. Is there, what is it beyond Suicide Squad? Oh my gosh, why is my brain dead? There has to be more. It's Wonder Woman, then Suicide Squad. And I, yeah, for whatever reason, I feel like there's another and I'm not thinking about it, but there's, you know, the Jurassic franchise. They they don't have that problem because it's one installment at a time, very clearly. Whereas the MCU has gone into this multiple film structure for so many years now. And now that they've opened the door to series on Disney Plus, they'll kind of, puts that type of pressure on them even more so. So they got they got a lot of stuff to sort through. I'm curious what you think about how this type of decision making and it, you know if you recall the story a few weeks ago that Disney completely re- reorganized to put streaming first basically. Uh, how for Warner Brothers and other studios if they decide to move in a streaming format first, how does that affect the creation of the content itself? We've seen how Netflix has completely like changed the way they operate, what they green light based on the algorithm and based on their viewership and the need to have content always, always, always for streaming. That's a very good question. First, just to clarify, the only DC film we were getting, or at least based on this list, list that I'm reading from on Collider right now, the only one I see is Suicide Squad. Because every the Black Adam and Shazam two aren't there; they're not that far along. Yeah, I don't think they're. I think uh, so many production schedules have been pushed. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe we're talking about you know things that were maybe planned for 2022 or something. But anyway. When when you were explaining the situation just now, I start I started to think that maybe the results will be slimmer budgets for certain things, just because you can't expect the same kind of return that you would with a theatrical release. But then I think about productions like, let's say, 
a Game of Thrones type show or Mandalorian. And those episodes come with a pretty hefty price tag. So I don't necessarily think that that's inevitable. One thing that I had a thought that was similar to that, that I think could be cool is uh, maybe it will make studios more comfortable. And this is something Warner Bros. lean towards a little bit with Joker anyway, but Mm -hmm. making lower budget movies with really big names and taking chances with them. I I wouldn't mind seeing that happen. And, you know, kind of in line with that, which we've already been seeing a little bit, I wonder if some of the smaller distributors and studios will start making firm deals with certain streamers. Because what is it, you know, like A24 has a deal with Apple and stuff like that. I wonder if, you know, I, I know Neon works with Hulu every once in a while. I just, I have a feeling we're going to wind up seeing more of that. Probably. Uh, it, well, and especially if it's hard for these studio movies to figure out what to do right now you take something with a minuscule budget and no stars how do you get a profile on that well clearly a24 is having an impossible time with it because they still haven't announced a u.s date for saint maud no man (laughs) what what is going on with that movie just release it i think that'd do great on streaming too so do i necessary theater film so frustrating we're, we're going to get to that topic. I don't want to, after we worked on this lineup and the order of it, I don't want to <laughs> screw it up, but we are going to talk about a movie that had a planned theatrical release that wound up with a digit with a streamer release and wound up doing really well. So I, I think that path is viable for a lot of movies like a St. Modern. I wish they would consider it. They're going to have to. Or do they want to hold it to the well, the thing is, I think it's already available or has or at least has dates internationally. Let me let me double check that. But I'm pr- I'm pretty sure it's come out somewhere. Let's see. It's so here was the latest article I saw. I think it might have gotten a theatrical release already somewhere. But this report is saying that this is from Bloody Disgusting, by the way. Saint Maud will be coming to digital, DVD, Blu-ray, and limited edition Steelbook in the UK on February first, twenty twenty-one. So, like, they can physically own the thing, and still nobody in the states can see it. Very oh good. my god, this box art is so stunning! I think I need this. Yeah. <gasps> Please navigate over and look at that steelbook art, guys. You might want this, too. And the movie inside is really good. I'm um, not going to do that because I don't want my computer to shut down again. That's fair. That's fair. Don't do that, Haley. to look after. <laughs> All right. You want to move into some of, our, uh, some of our new project stories here? Yeah, lots of cool ones. All right. So this, uh, this first one we have here is about a new Van Helsing movie from Overlord director Julius Avery. I am. Uh, I'm pretty pumped about this. James Wan is a producer on it, and it is in the works over at Universal Pictures. And we know that they are busy attempting to fix the mess of the dark universe and still be able to use the classic Universal monsters in new movies. And so far, so good. Thanks to Invisible Man. Kelly, how you feeling about this one? I'm so excited. I'm so excited in so many ways. I love Overlord, which I think anybody who's been listening yeah. to us for a while knows we're both very Ooh, high. On there's Overlord. another, you know, funnish one to watch with the family. I, I feel, I wonder if my parents have ever seen it, because I feel like both of them would really like it. I think your family would totally dig Overlord. We should totally do one whole show for horror movie recommend. That's a good list. I shouldn't say this out loud. Horror movie recommendations for mom and dad. <laughs> I love that. There's something there, I'm telling you. For Mother's Day. <laughs> I kind of love that. Uh, so I'm super stoked that he finally has like a new project that seems like it's going to happen soon. Mm-hmm. But also, man, Van Helsing is such a cool figure that really doesn't get his play a lot as much as a lot of the classic monster myths do and I think there's so much you can do with that character and I can't wait to find more details like what time period is this set in what's the yeah what's the vibe yeah I'm pretty sure it's a you know no plot details have been revealed kind of situation except for the fact that they are calling it a horror thriller which I mean sorry duh (laughs) could have figured that but I am 
mighty pumped for what Universal is doing in that department right now because uh, you know we've got Invisible Man, we've got the Ryan Gosling Wolfman uh, movie, and also the the Karan Kusama Dracula movie. I mean, seriously, the like the Dracula sphere right now is really exciting me because if anyone out there watched the Andre Overdahl episode of Witching Hour, he also spoke about the voyage of the uh, of the Demeter, and that's also something in that zone that feels prime for you know uh, like a fresh spin on screen because I, I I haven't seen all that much stuff that takes place over that span of time. Absolutely agree. I. <laughs> I would not be mad at a little Dracula resurgence. You know, there's a new Dracula movie every few years, but there hasn't been like a love for Dracula for a while. I'm all for it. And I'm especially all for this one because of Julius Avery, because uh, as you said, I I loved Overlord too. And it's been a little too long. I think he's got something that might be filming right now. I'm not sure of the status of it, but it's about time we get another movie from him. Yeah, I'm curious to see if they go the direction of having Van Helsing connect with Karen Kusama's Dracula as well. Um, Like, they're so connected, of course, in the lore, so that would make sense. But I do really find it kind of sexy, the idea of just a Van Helsing movie on its own. I think I am in agreement with you on that. I I actually think one of the shifts we're going to be seeing in the industry overall like I, th- I think we, I don't think we're ever going to leave the cinematic universe phase because there's too much money to be had in that sector. But I do see, like, there was a period of time when everyone wanted to start a cinematic universe or a multi-film franchise before you even release the first one. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to start going away from that, and we're going to start seeing more Invisible Man's and Joker's, where studios are just focusing on one and not connectivity, and maybe spending a little ma- a little less to risk more. Or the, I I yeah, I agree. <laughs> Hopefully I've just spoken the truth and it actually does happen. But that. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish. Um, the next one here. Wait, did I mess up the... No, I, I took your note and I reordered this. I was so worried that I forgot the note that you slapped me. Um, we are sticking in monster land right now. And we are talking about the new movie that... Phil Lord and Chris Miller are working on with Channing Tatum. So we've got a a little bit of a Jump Street reunion here because they are doing a monster movie of their own over at Universal. We don't know all that much about this one either, except the Deadline article does say that it's being described as a modern day tongue-in-cheek thriller inspired by Universal's Universal's classic monster legacy. So, Love it. Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, you give me that descriptor and those three individuals attached, and I, I, I can't imagine what could go wrong with that idea. No. And <laughs> brilliant. I feel like Lord and Miller's gift is taking franchising and uh, yes, iconography and turning it into something new and original and really whole in its own right that acknowledges the iconography of the franchise but reconfigures it into something totally new and original. So I, I, you put that formula, although they're like the least formulaic filmmakers out there, but you, you apply whatever that special sauce is to universal monsters. And I, it's like very hard to think of anything that sounds more my shit. Just for some fun predictions right now. Do you think they're going to lean into a specific character, specific movie? They're going to try to do maybe, I don't know, some sort of commentary on classic monsters overall. Yes to the last one. I don't know. If you think about like a Lego movie or Into the Spider-Verse, they do have a gift for like turning an idea into a really big, broad universe that they then get to rewrite the rules of. Hmm. I I like, I I do hope and think they will probably take that approach because the Universal Monsters are such a massive universe. And if they recontextualize it the way they do with those films, they get to honor it and completely do their own thing. It would be nice, nice to see them do that also, because I think it would make it stand out from some of these other projects we just spoke about. There's a, there's clearly some more specificity when it comes to those compared to an an idea like you just pitched. But I think whoever wrote the Collider article said something like, like a dancing Frankenstein or something like that. And I've kind of gotten that drilled in my brain just, just for funsies sake right now. But 
I'm I'm all I so I have just said something earlier that we need to manifest into reality and I think this is your statement of the episode. We need to keep repeating this so it happens. Yeah. Well, the other okay, I'm I'll manifest this too. Why not? I, the other thing I always think of when it's monsters and comedy is Abbott and Costello, of course. So like if there were any riff on that involved in some way, I would love that. That is not a bad idea either. I'm excited. I I really think this sounds cool and I always love a project where you're like straight up don't know what to expect. Couldn't couldn't guess in a million years. Even though the whole dark universe thing was especially unfortunate, you know, sometimes you got to swing and miss before you you hit your stride and whatever their approach is right now, I I feel like Sometimes I feel like maybe it's better off because they've learned their lesson in such an extreme way that now there is absolutely no chance anything like that could ever happen again. And I don't know, maybe it's pushing them down this more, uh, you know, standalone extreme path in a better way. Sure. I mean, look, the dark universe, the idea of superheroes, but they're the universal monsters is so cheesy. I do like the pitch. Uh, like there's a lot of fun to be had there. It just went off the rails in every conceivable way it could have. Yeah, I still can't believe the things we did to cover uh, the mummy. Oh boy, they did. I went. I went with Frank, and we covered this in Hollywood. The the giant sarcophagus, uh, like right in the center of Hollywood. <laughs> shit like that cost money and it was a huge event and there were so many people and they had a mummy escape room and then they did the whole premiere in new york and we flew there it's just all of that for the mummy well i always look the dark universe gave us two remarkable artifacts of entertainment one is the cast photo for the cast that never existed (laughs) incredible franchising that just bombed like here are movie stars psych amazing (laughs) Uh, and the other, of course, is the the trailer that was released with only uh, ADR sounds and none of the other sound. Oh, good. A miracle. And one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. <laughs> all right. It was all worth it, guys. Oh, it would have been worth it just for the trailer, but you throw in that iconic photograph, totally worth it. Whatever you spent on the mummy, it was worth it, Universal. I think I have the perfect transition to our next story. Excellent. So we were just talking about how failure could potentially motivate a studio to make better movies with a particular property. And maybe the same thing could happen here because Dan Trachtenberg is apparently uh, directing a fifth Predator movie. He, of course, directed 10 Cloverfield Lane and also Playtest, which I freaking love. Love Wyatt Russell. But um, those are some of the things he's responsible for. He is a filmmaker that I trust, but The Predator isn't that far back in the rearview mirror at this point. So I'm a little I'm a little turned off by that still. But you know the predator the predator franchise i think is is something that is well worth going back to despite mistakes because i think there's more to mine there oh yeah look i i'm on record many times as saying that i enjoy the predator for what it is i think it could have been a lot cooler if the studio really allowed the filmmakers to lean into the kind of cheesy b movie they wanted to make mm-hmm. but it hits this weird middle ground of trying to be a studio blockbuster and a cheesy b movie making fun of the predator movies it doesn't quite work, but I still have fun with it. But no, it's not like a great Predator movie. So I would love to see like a great Predator movie. And I think that for me, maybe Dan Trachtenberg will prove me wrong. But like, keep it simple, stupid, man. The Predator is such a simple appeal. And what people love so much about, especially the first film, but the first two is like, they're there. Simple action with a hint of horror. Those are big, sweaty, muscly action survival thrillers. Yeah. You don't you don't need to overcomplicate that to to strike back into that sort of magic ingredient. I don't I don't love Predator Two, and yeah, I like it. I, I, but I do it, more so maybe than the Resident Evil movies. The AVP movies are my guilty pleasures. <laughs> Even though there's even though there's one where you could barely see any of the movie because the, the uh, visuals are so dark, but you know what I, I genuinely do like though I really do like Predator Predators Predators. I did too. I think that was super underrated. 
I I don't think it got the credit it deserved. What was it like a box office bust or something? Oh man, I don't think I was paying attention to the box. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up. But that that's one of those movies where every single time it's on, it doesn't matter at what point the movie is on it, I have to see it through to the end. I, I genuinely I agree. And I think it's a good concept too. Yeah, and it uh, it it didn't quite keep it simple, stupid, but it, it didn't go as far as some of the other uh, like in trying to overcomplicate it. I mean, look, the ABVP films are objectively not good, but. <laughs> Uh, it's funny that you compare them to Resident Evil because just revisiting the first one, it is Resident Alien, but with Alien, Resident Evil. It's Resident <laughs> Alien. That's what it is. <laughs> I said it exactly right, even though I said it wrong. Because it's a reasonable assessment. Same freaking plot structure, same gags. It, they're totally alike. And I do still enjoy them, even though they're awful. Yeah, you're allowed to. Language is like, who cares? Any movie with an alien in it, I will like it. I don't care. Not any alien, a xenomorph. I love that. Okay. Yeah. I'm actually trying to pick a, a, a movie that involves an alien that I really don't like right now. Like any alien? Yeah. I'm like not I'm sure about Paul. I never saw Paul. It's. I never saw Paul. Mildly forgettable. I don't even know why I just remembered it. <laughs> well, that's the first thing that came to your mind. Yeah, Probably because I got rid of that DVD last week. Um. Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, yeah. Really didn't like that movie. Um, for the record, Predators. Why do I keep saying it like that? Like, I have to emphasize that it's different. So Very I keep fancy. You guys know what I mean. Predators. That movie had a production budget of $40 million, which is, like, fairly low for that kind of movie. That number actually surprises me. But it only went on to make... 52 million total domestic and 127 million worldwide, which, you know, that's a, it's not a nice total for a, for a franchise movie like that. No, it's not ideal. I did just have a little moment of giggles to myself because I was like, she's saying Predators like it's Midsommar. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why I resorted to that to emphasize the fact that it's, because it's also like when I say when I say the predator, I have to be like the predator. So right. like, no, it's not predator. Totally. Well, look, titles are a problem, and now we got what? Okay, I've said this before. My least favorite is the Purge, the TV show, the Purge, and the first Purge, which came after the Purge. So if you're talking about the first Purge, is in the first movie, you have to be very specific. <laughs> It's very confusing. That's a very thing up. But now we have Halloween and Halloween and Halloween, and we have Scream and Scream. Scream. Yeah. Candyman and Candyman. I think the one that I dislike the most is the Final Destination because one, it is not the final Final Destination, and two, that movie sucks. That's awful. <laughs> it's really awful. I don't know why I, why I even don't... uttered that title. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> bad that I'm like any movie with a xenomorph I don't care if it's Alien versus Predator 2 which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen I love it doesn't matter but fuck the final destination I love that franchise so much but I cannot conjure up that like whatever yeah because it's a I I try not to go too crazy with saying that a a movie doesn't deserve to exist because I am I'm a firm believer that every movie ever made has a fan somewhere You know what I mean? And I don't want to take away something someone loves, but that movie did feel like a big fat middle finger to the entire franchise. That movie feels like someone out there said, how do we milk this thing for all it's worth? Like, let's just throw any care we have out the window about story and logic and all that stuff. And let's just like throw shit in people's faces with 3D with no reason whatsoever. What the fuck were those transitions? Unbelievable. I you oh, right. Every movie probably has a fan. I have never met or seen a fan of The Final Destination. I'm sure someone will come up in the comments and be like, actually, it's my favorite movie of the 21st century. But uh, I have not met that person yet. I have not I have not met that person either. I have heard, and you know, this this one thing I can probably respect that the uh, the opening car disaster is a solid opener for a final destination movie. I'll get, I'll give you that. I just like the, the premonition stuff. It like, it makes me so mad. <laughs> I can't, I can't. All right. We need to move on. Yes. What do we have next? Peter Dinklage is toxic Avenger. 
Yeah. This is not the news that I had expected to hear. So Legendary is rebooting the Toxic Aven Avenger and uh, Peter Dinklage apparently is set to star according to uh, according to Deadline. And it's going to be a contemporary reimagining of the movie. And it's going to be directed by Macon Blair. So yeah. I'm not the I'm not the biggest trauma fan. And even something like Toxic Avenger, which I believe is is their biggest release, I, I just I don't care for it. It's not really for me. But Peter Dinklage and Macon Blair's involvement, that's the game changer. And that will get me to see this. And that will also probably get me to rewatch the original before I see their new movie. 100% same. You took the words right out of my mouth. It's like, Macon Blair is such an interesting choice. I... I I was already like, I don't know, of course, a lot of actors direct, but after seeing him just be so incredible in Blue Ruin when he directed um, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Oh, it's so good. I didn't expect that movie. I don't know why. I just, everything about that surprised me. So anything he does, I'm super interested in. And again, this is a what the heck headline. So that just adds to that total, like, what are you? What are you doing? This is amazing. Nothing makes sense. And if his I don't feel at home in this world anymore cast says anything about it. And also the start of having uh, Peter Dinklage in the title role, he's going to have an A plus ensemble here. And I don't know that that movie also suggests to me that he could do pretty much anything because that movie is so wonderfully all over the place. Yeah, it's wow. I love it. I, I never knew what to expect from that movie. Uh, and I had a blast finding out what it was. Jane Levy in that movie is just, I, that I wasn't ready for. It's also one of those movie titles that I, well, this is probably an intimate look into my brain, but I think about, I, those words go through my head all the time. Like, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Huh. Understandable in 2020, but yeah. really it gets stuck in my head like a freaking song. That's, no, that's fair. And and the fact that you can have a title like that for a movie and it does catch on and you can remember it, I think speaks to what you just said, that being a common feeling and also how good that movie is. So, Very so title. you don't need to just copy and paste one word movie titles. No, no. But honestly, if I'm being if I'm being honest about it, I don't. Like, I'm not one of those folks out there who are just enraged by the idea of them reusing just Scream. I, I just, I don't care that much. <laughs> the only way it affects me is that I have to be slightly more clear when I talk about things and write about them. Oh, no. So how are we going to verbally emphasize that we're talking about this fifth Scream movie? <laughs> Original Scream versus Scream 2021 or whatever. 2022. 22. Fuck, it's so long. Damn it. Yeah, but mm, I guess I had I had said um, the 2018 Halloween movie quite a bit. Oh, yeah, that, that's how I refer to it. The 2022 screen movie. That is a mouthful. <laughs> okay, we'll figure it out. We have time. Um, next year, Gremlins 3. And this little uh, bit of news comes from Adam Chitwood's Collider Connected episode with Chris Columbus. Yay, Adam, you did a phenomenal job. Please go over to the website or the YouTube channel and give that whole conversation a watch. But right now we are putting the focus on gremlins. And the quote Adam got from Chris is, I would love to do it. I wrote a script. So there is an existing script. We're working out some rights issues right now. So we're just trying to figure out when the best time to make that film would be. I would still do it the same way. I would still do it as tangible puppets, not CGI. Maybe having, you know, we had one stop motion scene in the first Gremlins, but I don't think I'd use much CGI in Gremlins 3. So there you go. That's the that's the update on Gremlins. The, the rights issues have me concerned. That's not necessarily something you could clear up fast or get around so i can't imagine this happening this way in the near future but I, I like his approach i think the key here is is the puppets to me yeah uh i this is one of those movies that i totally i don't care if it happens i don't need it or grudge it happening and i would love for it to just happen and be awesome and go in it with no weighted expectations and be super pleasantly surprised you know it just so 
Gremlins, of course, beloved, but so far out of like my consciousness of what people are really hype about right now these days uh, that it's it just I don't know it feels like one of those things that if it's really good could come out of left field and make people really happy um, so I hope so <laughs> I love gremlins those, those are just such highly rewatchable movies to me and after after seeing Krampus I always used to think that Mike Dougherty would be a great person to direct another gremlins movie yeah but I I mean I want it to happen. It just feels, it feels like there's no reason to say that right now until all the right stuff is cleared up because we know Warner Brothers has the rights. I believe they're working on that animated series right now for HBO Max. And that, that sounds like a good idea. I'm very excited about that too, but I do want another live action Gremlins movie. This is what I'll manifest for this just because they're on my mind because it's elf season and I just watched uh, Netflix's the holiday movies that made us and I just watched Netflix's Alien Xmas. I Wait, wait, say that again? The Chiodo brothers should do the puppets. They're so amazing. Okay. Um, How was the alien one? Cute. Okay. I was thinking about who did who did that again? The Chiodo brothers. Okay. Why was, uh, why was it? The, uh, filmmakers behind uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and they also did the puppet work in Elf, and they've yeah. done. They did the puppet uh, work in Team America: World Police. They're just incredible puppeteers. I think I was reading something about Elf, and that was referenced. Okay, I need to put that on the list. I have so much shit to watch. It's really short. Um, <laughs> It's it's a short feature. It's like a throwback to the Rankin Bass, but updated sci-fi. It's cute. It's not like the best thing I've ever seen, but I I had a blast with it. I think it was like forty minutes or something. I need some cute in my life and it's something just, that's a blast. So I'll take it. It's the Grinch, but instead of the Grinch, it's kleptomaniac aliens coming to steal Christmas. I also have to watch. Uh, I have to watch the Grinch, the Jim Carrey one. You haven't seen it? I don't have to watch it. I've seen it. Okay. I'm busy prepping for a, for a particular ladies night episode that I won't say out loud right now because I am very superstitious. And I feel like when I say something before recording it, it's not going to happen. So I have a lot of movies. to I'm so excited. Like just, just to build a little hype and I guess be a little obnoxious about it. (laughs) Going through her filmography I know she's gotten awards and, and lots of recognition, but it's not enough. It's not enough. She's so good. Okay. <laughs> Moving on before I like no, dig myself over that department. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So actually this next story is a callback to something that we had referenced earlier. I forgot why we referenced it. So now I can't even make the callback. Call oh no, no. We were talking about, um, we were talking, why were we talking about movies that would, be, oh, St. Maud, movies that would benefit and potentially get an even bigger audience for having been released on a streamer. Mm-hmm. And the movie that I think that that could have happened with is Run. But then again, I, sh- I probably should kind of take this back because had there not been a pandemic, I believe Run was a Mother's Day release. Mm-hmm. And Run is the kind of movie that maybe not as big as a quiet place, but I do think that that could have popped in a pretty big way. But anyway, it did pop, but it just popped on Hulu. And apparently now Run holds the record for Hulu's most watched feature title ever during its opening weekend. And did it is- immediately get dethroned by Happiest Season, though? Did it? I think maybe I'm wrong. I meant to Google that and then I didn't, but I will now because apparently I should have. But anyway, at a point, that record was runs and <laughs> I forgot where I was going with this. I'm so sorry. I started to like Google and I don't even know. But um when run when run got this title, it took it from Palm Springs. Okay. I'm gonna look at it. Now. It immediately dethroned by happiest it was yeah. Okay. Well yay Hulu you're doing well wow. right now. <laughs> but anyway, still run was uh run was very well watched and yeah, yeah I, also, I also found a massive audience on hulu 
I also should probably say, because we say this all the time when we're talking about streamers reporting numbers and record-breaking stats and all this, is that they don't give us the real numbers. This isn't like box office mojo where, you know, the dollars and cents are being reported. We don't know what they're talking about. We don't know what their metrics are. So did somebody watch three seconds of Happiest Season? Exactly. Take it with a grain of salt to a point, but I always feel like, some of what we can do to back up their claims is when we see how well something does on the website. And I feel like some of the run stuff and Happiest Season did perform. And I think that signaled that they really did have a big audience. I can tell not so much with run, but with Happiest Season, like people have messaged me about it that don't message me about Hulu. (laughs) Like that, that is very clear to me that that had a huge reach. I like Happiest Season quite a bit. I watched that screener twice. I mean, like twice in a row. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know. I just like it it made me so happy that I'm like, just scroll. like, I'm not tired yet. Just scroll back to the beginning. I have complicated thoughts on Happiest Season. I did like it, but it did also make me cry a lot. And she's awful. Yeah, I've read read a lot of... uh, hate harper takes and i don't hate harper but i think she needs serious therapy before she gets engaged to anyone i i 100 understand that stance on it um I'm, I'm very curious to know what you think about the prom when you watch it because okay. it winds up in a very not not like a super similar but like kind of connected situation where it's how that's handled by a character in the prom instead. And I'm curious to see what the reaction to that is going to be. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought the, as much as I loved happiest season, I thought it was done a little better in prom. Ooh, very interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm only allowed to tweet about that one. I forgot what I, what I said in my tweet. <laughs> Color. What wonderful, fun, good vibes. Vibrant. Blessed. Seriously, it's got a great cast. Um, do we have something? Oh, yes, we did. Yeah. I was going to end. So <laughs> in our, if you want a little um, witching hour behind the scenes, Haley suggested that it would be better, and it probably would have at this point because now it feels like a shitty transition, would have been better to group the reviews together, like Haley's Blu-ray review and then this mini review. But I thought it would be, you know, like the episode's coming to a close. Go into your weekend with a movie recommendation. It's perfect. This is the best transition I've seen in my life. (laughs) Right. I feel like you're just telling me what I want to hear. Um, But for anyone out there who wasn't going to theaters in November, Freaky is finally coming out on demand. And I very much recommend it. Haley and I, I think I could speak for Haley on this. We're big fans of Christopher Landon. He's he's wonderful. And what Freaky is, is it's basically taking what he does so well as far as genre mashups, and it's applying it to the slasher genre. And Catherine Newton, Vince Vaughn, they're a ton of fun. And now you can just, you can go and rent it or buy it. I'm excited. I was one of those people to absolutely not go into a theater. Uh, so Yeah. I don't yeah. think we have open theaters here, but if they were, I wouldn't go. I think we have a few now, but I, yeah, I think we do have a few, but I, I'm not going. So I'm (laughs) excited is what I'm saying. And I'm sure that this will be another one that hits a bigger audience now. I, I really do hope so. I hope that winds up being the case. Not that I, this other movie I'm about to bring up, I did not like nearly as much. And I think it was a major missed opportunity. It's not terrible though. Come play. And okay. Come Play, Come Play was released in theaters exclusively at the end of October. Like, where is that movie right now? You better release it on VOD pretty fast because that just came and went. And I can't imagine anyone gave a shit because who saw it in theaters? No, I forgot it existed until you just brought it up. It's so unfortunate. That seems so unfair. I just don't, un- I don't understand the point, you know? I'm so sure that some of its contracts, like, I, I doubt the team be time behind it's like people are going to risk their lives for this movie. So wait, question. When you say contract, do you mean, let's say, a star in the movie having something in the contract promising them a theatrical release? Something like that or a deal with a distributor thing, you know, somewhere in some of the contracts, a theatrical release to some extent, I feel, must have been guaranteed. If it was some sort of deal with a distributor, that's a different story, maybe. But if it's something like... 
like a star being a baby about needing their movie on the big screen right now, wouldn't you think that that contract would be renegotiated so that the movie that they're in can be seen by the most amount of people? It's like at that, at this point, given what's going on, what is the value of insisting that the movie that they're in be shown in theaters? That's yeah. See, that's what I mean. That's why I think that it has to be some sort of bigger uh, deal. That's like outside of the hands of, a lot of well, okay, so like here's a good example. You know, um, the endless got put into theaters, and Benson mm-hmm. and Moorhead were very vocal online. Like, please don't go to the theater. Please watch it a safe way. Yeah, uh, you know the the people creatively in charge always don't have the final say on distribution, or never do most of the that time. Very true. Um, I believe Complay was a focus release, right? Hmm. I don't know. Like I said, I forgot it existed. I think, and I think a lot of the Focus Features movies actually are having this kind of release strategy because Promising Young Woman is coming up. And I also believe that that one is theatrical in December. Very peculiar. I don't know. It's just, it bums me out that so many of these movies that I really like can't be seen. I know. Yeah, because they had Kajillionaire 2 and that happened. And they they did. They had Come Play. Um, Promising Young Woman is uh, December 25th. And that's all I got from them right now. Very strange. Very good movies. Um, Yeah, all right. I think that's our news rundown for the day. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, that was like, that was a lot of stuff. Some good stuff to catch up on. And we're, we're promising you this right now. The rest of 2020 Witching Hour episodes will only be the two of us. Yay. We're, we're hopefully coming back in the new year with a really cool interview episode. Again, I'm not going to say it out loud because I don't want to jinx this one in particular, but I hope it happens. Me too. And I'm so excited to spend the month talking to you because I love our guests, but I love you a little more. <laughs> I think I share that same feeling. All right, guys, we're out of here. But before we go, Haley, where can everyone find your work on the internets? You can find me on Twitter at Haley Fouch and Instagram at Haystack McGroovy. And I am at P. Nemiroff on Twitter and Instagram. Apparently, I'm just like putting weird emphasis on every word that I say. Like, why did I just say Twitter? Wait, wait. And we all parry a con- congratulations because she's a top critic now on Rotten Tomatoes. She's very fancy and prestigious. I feel like I'm in such a good mood today because it's it's so valuable when you have something good happen right when you wake up. And that was the first thing that I saw when, because I, I do this, this probably isn't a good thing to do, but my phone is right next to my bed. And the first thing I do when I wake up is I open it up and I look at my email, look at Twitter. And that was the first thing I saw. And I don't know, it's just like big freaking smile on my face. I, awesome. I'm so honored to have that. Deserve it obviously. Thank you. I appreciate that, Haley. All right, guys, we're out of here. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. You have officially survived the witching hour.